Well, good morning again, Grove family, as our children are heading out. I uh, just want to welcome all of those that are joining us online right now and over the last 30 minutes. I'm so glad that you have chosen to be here today. My prayer is that God does something that you were not expecting to happen in your life this day. We're starting a brand new ser- uh, series. It's called Pitfalls. It's things in life that get us. And uh, we're going to be walking through the life of Joseph over the next couple of weeks. And I just got to tell you, so far, it's got me. It's hitting me hard, and it's hitting me exactly where I need to, to, to pay attention because I really never, even though I've even taught from this before, I've missed some things that we need to get in this that will help us in this life. Uh, you, you are very aware of this. You're a human being. Some of you have been around for a long time. Some of you longer than me. Some of you less than me. But life happens. It, it really happens. And sometimes when life happens, it's great. And the relationships are going good. Some of you in here are getting married or just gotten married. And man, it's like, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, some of you are young and you're healthy and Everything works right right now, and life is great, and the job is great, and the house is great, and the cars are running, and you know, everything's just it's great. And I'm just gonna tell you, I'm just gonna put it out there because I want you to realize this. Even when life is amazing, maybe especially when life is amazing, that can result in a pitfall in our lives because we quit depending on God and we think we've got this. And that's a problem. Now, we all understand the other side of this as well. There are times in our lives when it's not so great. Matter of fact, it's a whole different set of language that comes through. It's not something that we're loving. It's something that we're hating because it's breaking us. It's tearing us up. It's when the relationships have gone south. It's when we feel alone. It's when we don't feel well. It's when we feel like people are after us and somebody's trying to, to, to cause us problems at work or the boss is after us or the teacher's after us or the parents are after us or, or things are not good. And those things break us. They tear us apart. And they can be pitfalls in our life to bring us to a place where we find ourselves in a a place where we don't think we can get out of. So I'm not just going to tell you things that go good and go bad that help us in places that we need to get to and the right place to get to. I'm at the very end of this. I'm going to give you two things that I think are homework pieces that we can take home that will help us figure out how to walk through this life and to get through the pitfalls of life, whether we put them on ourselves because we quit depending on the Lord or whether life just happened and we had to totally depend on the Lord because life has happened. So how do we keep the the pitfalls of life from stealing the joy in this life that we were created to live? How do we do that day by day by day? How does that work when it's good and when it's bad? How How do we keep them from taking our focus off of the very reason that we were created for on the face of this earth, the reason that God put breath and keeps breath in our lungs? How do we keep from losing that focus? How do you, how do you, how do you climb out of the pit once you find yourself in it and cling to the faith that you know that you have to, the one sure thing that you know you can cling to? How do you do that? 
So I guess the first part is, uh, and uh, this will be kind of fun for some of you, and some of you will have to go home and look this up, and either way, it should still be fun. But what is a pitfall? I go back, honestly, to Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and those, and there were pitfalls in those all the time. It was, uh, it was usually a sandy area, and they dug it out, and they put a few limbs over it and put camouflage over it, and next thing you knew, something's flying across it, and it's gone. It's a pitfall. The other one that you might remember, and this, I know it kind of dates me, but I don't care. I'm dated. Uh, Gilligan's Island. How did they get so many pitfalls in one sandy beach in a little tiny island? I don't know. Which honestly led to me watching way too much Gilligan's Island than I probably hadn't watched in 10 years this weekend because it just caught my attention. But a pitfall, here's what it is by definition, if you can't picture that in your mind yet. It's, a, it's an unexpected difficulty. And it can be something we bring on ourselves, or it can be something that others help us with. Uh, it's a danger. It's, a, it's, a, it's an, an, an error or a struggle that someone might fall into, and that someone is someone. It's us today. Uh, <clears throat> the definition of a pitfall is a danger or a downside or a trap that may be concealed that you may not be aware of. Literally, a lightly covered pit used to trap animals or humans in this case. As we walk into this, I want you to think about what pitfalls are going on in your life right now. Whether they are things that you've brought on yourself or whether they are things that, for whatever reason, jealousy, fear, whatever, somebody else has laid out for you. Because we know that we have an enemy who loves the pitfall. Satan loves it. He, he lives, and Jesus said it in John, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It is his purpose. If you don't believe it, it can come when you've got everything you could ever have imagined, and it can come when you have nothing and you feel like you've lost it all. It can come in both places. So today we began a study on the life of Joseph, a very, very interesting character in the Bible that a, a long portion of Genesis is given to. And we're going to walk through his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly in that, and we're going to look at it from the side of his family and from his side and from the side of Israel as we walk through this over the next few weeks. You're going to get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But most of all, one thing you'll realize is that there were a lot of pitfalls in Joseph's life. Some of them he literally brought on himself. We'll talk about some of that today. But some of those were from people who, let's just be honest, they hated him and they had it out for him. A lot of pitfalls in his life, things that, that could have meant his end, like end of life, like death. Uh, places where a lot of people would have uh, given up and uh, probably turned their back on the Lord. And Joseph did not. And it's almost crazy to us how this story ends. Justin Kendrick said this. He said, we often think uh, I'm important because I accomplished this or because I make this money. But God says you're important because I love you, period. And you can put the first part of that in anything. I'm important because this. I'm important because of that. I'm important because I go to this school. I'm important because I look this way. I'm important because I'm able to think this fast. I'm important because of what I do in the church. I'm important because of what I do at my job. But God says you're important 
because I love you. According to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it totally takes a juxtaposition on exactly what we're talking about here. Jesus demonstrated this kind of love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater love than that. That's a love that we can't even begin to understand. Uh, if you've watched Billy Graham through the years, I know he's already with Jesus now, but as you watched him through the years, he, he started almost every single message he ever did with three words. God loves you. So if you're in this place today and you've missed that somewhere along the road, before we walk through how to deal with these pitfalls, you need to understand that in this grand picture, somehow Almighty God, creator of this universe, the one that holds it together, the one that gives you breath in your lungs right now, He loves you. It's why He came. It is John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's love. So if you question that, you're missing the most important truth about the Bible that no matter what pitfall you're in right now, no matter which one you created for yourself, no matter what life has thrown at you, you need to understand this. God loves you. God loves you. I see very clear evidence that Joseph fully believed this. This was not just his conviction. It was his faith in the Lord that carried him through things that we would say, but how did he do this? J.C. Ryle said it like this. Many of God's children get, uh, <clears throat> get on very well so long as they have no trials. In other words, it's all good until it gets tough. That's kind of the way we live our lives sometimes. So throughout Scripture, this is true. God is at work even when we can't see it. We sing a song like that every few weeks. We've got a song that has that even, even when we can't feel it, even when we can't see it, even when, when we don't see the evidence around us. He is still at work in every one of his children's lives. And he's also at work in drawing the others to himself. He is at work. So we begin in Genesis chapter 37. We'll begin in verse 2, and if you don't have it there in front of you in your Bible, and I hope that you do, but if you don't, you can look at it on the screen and follow along. It says, verse 2, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often uh, tended his father's flocks, and he worked with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bila and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father, this is important, Joseph reported to his father uh, some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph. Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. So you got a major family feud going on here. And if you're real honest and if you see this and you pay attention to it, Joseph brought a lot of it on. Joseph's wife clearly brought some of this on. Jacob brought some of this on. And yes, the brothers had to wear a lot of this as well. 
but just a reality. And you've seen it. You, you may be on the receiving end of this. Uh, people, parents, grandparents often are often blind to an unfair favoritism of a kid or a grandkid. Uh, just a fair warning, do your best to avoid this with your own kids, with your grandparents. Love people equally. Love them the way Christ loves them. But that, that unfair favoritism toward kids is something that's going to mess you up, I promise. We've all seen it. It certainly appears that this was the case for Jacob and his feelings toward his youngest son, Joseph, that he favored him the most. And then you have the little brother, Joseph, who is a tattletale on his big brothers. And I don't know if you realize this, it just never goes well. You know, there's a laughter for a second for the little brother who gets the bigger brothers in trouble. But it's always going to come back and bite him. It has since the beginning of time when you get one up on someone like that. Apparently, Joseph was kind of like the, the family reporter. And it would catch up with him. You know, hey, Dad, did you see this? Did you see that? See what my brothers did? So between his dad's actions and the dreams that God gave him, and then the fact that Joseph had these dreams and then shared them with his brother, and then Jacob would eventually give Joseph what I will call a coat to die for. Because that was what was supposed to happen to his life at that point. And then the tattling, the favoritism, the storm was brewing. We have to know and we have to understand this. If you've got your outline pulled up, I hope you'll uh, jot these words down. If not, I hope that you'll jot it down somewhere because I believe these things are important for us to hear and understand. God does not cause people to do evil. Even though God gets blamed for a lot of evil, God does not cause people to do evil. And the second part of number one there is this. However, he does allow his own kids to walk in, around, and through pitfalls that he has a purpose on the other side for. But God does not cause the evil. He can work through it, and he can make amazing things happen even through the, the sorriest circumstances. And for the way some of us have come to Christ, we can see how that worked. He took something that appeared evil, and he used it for something that turned out fantastic. But he did not cause the evil, but he does let us walk through, walk around, have to dig out of, have to get a hand out of those pitfalls. Here's what happened in verse 18 of Genesis 37. When Joseph's brother, brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And when he approached, they made plans to kill him. This is not a game anymore. The jealousy has gone too far. The pain, the anger is too deep. Verse 19, here comes the dreamer. They said, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of the scheme, this is his oldest brother, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. And then he will die without our laying a hand on him. 
Reuben was secretly, it says, it's almost like, here's the background part you need to hear. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. That's very symbolic. You see what happened, the very thing that, that put, the, put the icing on the cake for their jealousy and their anger. They ripped it off of him. Then verse 24, and then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So it did not kill him. It just put him out of the way and in a place where they felt like it would be much better off for their little brother. Put yourself in uh, the shoes of Joseph's brothers for a minute. From their dad, Jacob's favoritism that is clearly explained. I mean, Joseph was Jacob's favorite wife's son, too. Which was actually the woman that God intended for Jacob to marry in the first place. But Jacob did things his own way. And it would cost him and his family. It was a very imperfect pattern. And then, we can't help but notice that Joseph is... He's either very immature or he's actually bragging. God gave me this dream and here's what it looks like. And the brothers somehow seem to know he's talking about us. You're going to bow down to me. If you read the verses that are all the way up to 18 there, you'll see exactly what those dreams are. I encourage you to check those out. That the, Everything around him would bow down to him as king. On the inside of his brothers, there was bitterness and anger that just would not go away. And the truth is, if we let those things go in our lives, the bitterness, the jealousy, the anger, they will destroy us. They, 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 take, our, they take our hearts from the inside out. They, they control our minds with every thought that we have. On a personal note, it's likely that, they, that there's hatred between you and maybe a family member like this. And if there is, we should find a way to find peace within that family. To bring honor to the Lord in that as a follower of Christ. Rather than continuing to let it build and breaking up what God desires to build in your family. And yes, you'll probably have to say, I'm sorry, when you're not the one that did anything. It's just the way it works. And here's the problem. And it's number two on your outline. Jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. Don't be jealous that I can't speak. Jealousy and envy will destroy us from the inside out. It's a root that takes place in our lives and destroys us from the inside out. It's what was happening to the brothers. And you'll see as we go through this story, it ate them for most of their adult life after they did what they did. Jealousy, envy, anger can be toxic in our lives. It will destroy us. These things can make us wonder where God is or even if he's still at work in any way. They can cause us to do things or to react in ways that are not who we are and don't demonstrate well 
a life that is surrendered or is supposed to be surrendered to Christ. It looks totally opposite of that once these things begin to take over. This is a question for me, and it's a question for you. I want us to think about this. What am I envious of? What am I jealous of? Maybe we ask, could, could any of the actions or the way that I brag about something in a prideful way, could it cause people around me to have jealousy or envy? Is it possible that deep down I actually enjoy people being jealous of me or what I have or the job I have or the, the spouse I have or the friends that I have? And I kind of get a little extra from seeing them struggle because I got something good going on right now. And seriously, we celebrate these things. We celebrate these things now in such a bizarre way, but we do it on social media. And I'm not saying we don't celebrate the good things, but when we do it in such a way that might make someone else feel like we're rubbing it in their face, we've crossed a line. Celebrate the marriage, celebrate the good things, celebrate the new kids. Ce- yes, but there comes a point when we cross a line where we actually could hurt people that are around us. Maybe we, uh, maybe we even blow it up a little more than it really is. Maybe we, we make ourselves look a little better than we really look. Maybe we celebrate a few more likes than we actually get because we put so many of them on there ourselves. We really do this. It's bizarre, but it's the new world that we live in today. We know it's not the whole truth, or we, we get, or maybe we are the ones who get jealous, or we are the ones that then get angry, and we forget how many times that person may have, uh, may have actually taken that photo, or if it's been photoshopped. I just think about it like that. The struggle with envy is real. It can happen to us. If we, are, if we are honest with ourselves, we may even get frustrated with God because it appears that he gives others what we really want for ourselves. And so we get, got, get mad at God because he, he somehow, from our minds, blesses people in a way that we think we actually deserve. And so to protect ourselves from this kind of envy... We have to put on the mind of Christ, and we have to do that on a daily basis. It's where we draw near to Him in a moment-by-moment and a day-by-day. It's when we, what we, we, we were careful what we pour into our minds so that it, it puts us into a place so that we see things from the eyes of Christ and not from the eyes of this world because the eyes of this world are skewed and messed up. They are rose-colored glass. There will come a time where Your reactions will leave you looking over the shoulder at every turn, thinking payback is coming. That's where the brothers were after they did what they did in this story. At every turn, they're like, is it coming back? Is it going to get us now? And we've done that kind of thing where we hurt people in such a way that we constantly feel like it's coming back on us. Genesis 37 and verse 26, you skip down just a little bit. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Now, what we see here is a little bit of wisdom 
that shows up in the midst of a lot of jealousy and anger that wanted to kill their brother. Judah's one, if you will, and I hope it was a check in his spirit that happened, that needs to happen in a lot of us. This moment uh, of conscience uh, waking up, Judah didn't just think this or realize it might be an important thought. He spoke up and his brothers agreed. And what was the result? It would eventually save a nation. And it started with Reuben, who said, let's not kill him. Let's just drop him and let him die on his own. He came back to say he was going to come back and help him. And then Judah caught on with the same thing. He said, let's just, let, he's our brother. We can't kill him. Just let him go and we'll never have to deal with him again. He'll be in another country. We'll never even see him again. Years later, Joseph would look into his brother's probably remorseful, fearful eyes and say, what you meant for evil, God has somehow used for good. To me, it's one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the word. What you have meant for evil, God has used for good. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, I believe. God is always up to something bigger than we could ever imagine. And you've really got to stay connected with him in order to be able to see like that. He's up to something bigger. That, that same God who would finish writing this story in the Bible is in the last chapter of Acts still writing a story in your life right now. That same God. It's the same God who was writing the story for Joseph is writing the story of your life. And, and like the life of Joseph, and even like the life of his brothers, there's a purpose for your life. Some of us are living it and some of us are fighting it. But it's a story that he has written that he wants to complete in your life. Think about this. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. And it was a good thing. It's hard to believe that was a good thing. But it was a good thing to compare to what they had planned because it was a terrible thing that they had planned because they planned to kill him. But God intervened. It just makes sense that somehow God had to soften the heart of Reuben. That God had to soften the heart of all of his brothers, beginning with Judah then. So God protected Joseph in a way that didn't look like a plan or saving him at all, but it was the hand of God. And we can look back over it and we can see it crystal clear now. But there's no way he could have seen it when he got thrown in that pit. What I don't want us to miss about the life of Joseph is this. A lot of good stuff fell in place after he fell in the pit, after he was thrown in the pit. But I don't want you to admit this. I don't want you to miss this. Joseph still had to suffer. And we likely will still have to suffer as well. He was still separated from his birth family for almost all of his adult life. And then it still would have been awkward even after things got turned around. You know, there are times when it just made the places he found himself feel like life makes no sense at all and just like joseph's life our life may be very similar to that there may be times when it feels like 
and we ask the question, God, where are you? What's going on? How am I going to get through this? This, this? this pitfall is too much. There's nobody to get me out of this. There's nobody to help me. I, I'm done. But yet somehow, in his mighty work, he works it through in a way that will bring him glory. And in many times, it will be the rescue of our life. And that's the third thing on here. God's hand might not be obvious, but he was and he is still at work. He might not have been able to see the hand all the time. When you're standing at the bottom of a pit and you don't even know if there's another meal coming. It's got to seem hopeless. When help finally comes, but it becomes something that where you're, you're sold into slavery and you have no idea if there'll be an end at that. It had to be, Lord, what is this? But the thing I see about Joseph is he never stopped trusting God. He never stopped trusting the Lord, even when things looked so terrible, so south. That's an example worth following. Even when it doesn't make sense, God, help us follow that kind of example. Trust the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. That's a game changer for us. That's how the escape or even we avoid the pitfalls of life. It's how we climb out of the pits that we've fallen into, even if we created that pit for ourselves, It's how we get out. So what now? What do we do with this? Life of Joseph, the picture of his brothers and his father and his mother and the jealousy and the envy and the desire to hurt, to kill, and then just to rid themselves of him. And yet somehow God, or, or somehow Joseph is able to say, what you meant for evil, God has used for good. How does this work in real life? Here's the so what in this year. It's just a second, but I want us to get this. Number one is this, never do life alone so when you fall into the pit, somebody will be there to help you out. Are you hearing me? Because some of you in this room are all alone. You need people around you. You need people that love you. You need people that care about you enough that, because have you ever fallen into a pit before? I have. It wasn't a physical pit. Might have been emotional. It might have been sin. But I've fallen in pits. And I've needed somebody that would come and say, hey, I'll help you. That's what friends are for. They'll pick you up. They'll drop you a rope. They'll send you a ladder. They'll help you find a way out. I mean, we think we can handle all of life until we can't right we think we've got this until it's too much that's why we need brothers and sisters in christ that will support us and help us and and take us by the hand and help us back up it might be a, a hand up or it might be just dragging you back onto the right path it might be an encouraging word or a word that hurts in the moment some of the best words i've ever heard were the cruelest words i've ever heard ross what are you doing Because I was putting myself in a pit. You've been down that same kind of road. But you know what they say is right. That friend. 
You know their intention is to keep you walking with Jesus. And so finally, you grab that rope and you let them pull you back up and pull you back onto the right path. And the last one is this. Take a step back and look at the reality of what's going on. I think that was the, the saving part of this for Joseph. Somehow from the pit, he was able to take a step back and say, Okay, Lord, I'm in here. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm trusting you. And once he was out and he was being marched along, I don't know if he was in chains or ropes or just being uh, pushed along with a, with a spear or something once he was taken as a slave. But somehow in that, he was able to say, I'm not fighting it. I'm just going with it, Lord. I don't know what you're going to do here, but if I'm saved, it'll be because of you. It's a whole different mindset. It makes us ask, did I do anything to deserve what's happening? And whether I did or not, will I trust the Lord to use the circumstances for the, for the impact of his kingdom? It makes us stop and talk to Jesus, which is what we should have been doing all along. Instead of just running from place to place, we finally stop and we have that time with Jesus and we talk to him and we let him know what our struggles are. That old song's great. Tell him all about your struggles because he cares. Dustin Binge said this on a tweet this last week he said the key to sustaining joy is not circumstances it's Christ so no matter what pitfall you find yourself in the answer is not you finding a way out the answer is Christ the joy comes from Christ I want you to stand up around this room I want you to ask those questions the first one has to be this because you can't go where Joseph went without faith in the Lord. His faith was in the Lord who was to come, the Lord who was with him, but the Christ who was to come, the Savior who was to come. You know about Christ, the one who has come. And the question is, have you put your faith and trust in him? Jesus said you must repent of your sins and trust him by faith. You let him have what you can't fix, which is all of it. And you trust him that way at this moment you give it up you surrender it to him the next one is are you trying to do this alone because if you're alone there's going to be a point when that pit's too deep and you can't do it you need people around you you need a, a youth group around you you need a, a bridge group college and career people in the same young professionals around you you need other adults other parents other folks that have gone through the same stuff that you're going through other grandparents that are going through the same stuff that you have to go through. So that when you fall in that pit and you can't get out, finally you'll see that hand who's reaching down to pull you out and to help you up. And the last one, maybe you need a little perspective today. Take a step back from where you found yourself and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do something with this, but clearly you've let me live for a reason. You've given me joy to stop for a moment and talk and praise you. So I'm going after you right now. I'm going to be down here. Drew will be down here. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray, no matter what it is. You do it with the Lord right now. Jesus, your people, this is your time. You do the work in hearts that need to happen. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.